so yeah we we started hiring people more on the base of attitude than the knowledge because one thing is impossible to give to someone is the good attitude welcome to conversations with connors i'm your host adam connors for those who say the american dream is dead I say, listen to this podcast with my friend, Nish Patel. Today, Nish is the managing partner of Paper Chase, a company that specializes in the restaurant and hospitality industry, providing outsourced accounting, efficiency analytics, and financial due diligence. In just eight short years, Nish has taken Paper Chase from a sole proprietorship with one client working out of a 50-square-foot office to over 400 restaurants with 300 employees and into a gorgeous 5,000-square-foot midtown Manhattan office, as well as other offices in Miami and India. I'm not certain his industry even existed before he stepped onto the scene. By the way, this rocket ship ride of growth was done without a dime of advertising or sales, 100% by networking and referrals. If this doesn't speak to the quality of hard work, doing right by your clients, and building a great network, then what does? Enjoy today's amazing success story with my friend, Nish Patel. Tell us about your company, because I know that I'm not going to do you justice. What's the name of your company? What do you guys do? Sure. So the name of the company is Paper Chase. We are focused into hospitality industry to provide finance operations and analytics Basically, we outsource the finance operations, and once we get all the numbers, we play around the numbers to generate some meaningful analytics so that the people can take the decisions to fix the problem. So instead of trying to figure out problems on their own, we help them to produce those numbers, and we provide them tools that this is where the problem is, you need to fix it here. So the goal is if you are bleeding the money, you want to minimize that. And if you're making the profit, you want to maximize the profit. Wow. That's a great way of describing it. You articulated it a lot better than me. Speaking of articulation, when you came here eight years ago, were you this articulate? Maybe 1% of it. Um, (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, when I came, I mean, born and brought up in India, went to London for my studies. And then I decided to come here and started paper chase over here which is originally from London. So the company has been around for almost 30 years and I joined before like almost 10 plus years back. And we thought like, let's give it a short start and company here. That's how it all started. <laughs> Less than eight years ago. Less than eight years ago. Every time I come to visit you, I can't keep up with the growth. It just amazes me. I have a big smile on my face every single time I see you. Not just because it's great to see you, but just because I'm in utter amazement. To come here, I mean, I remember when we first went to lunch, I forgot where it was, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Yeah, somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. 50th Street. Yeah, 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 50th Street. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Yeah, and I, and, it was and, a French restaurant, I think. Yeah, good yeah. memory. Wow. Yeah. So so we're at this restaurant, and truth be told, I really, I understood maybe every third or fourth word, <laughs> and you probably didn't understand me either. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah, so, and I remember thinking, uh, coming out of there, like, wow, first you've got some balls to come here to do to this endeavor that you were this journey that you are on. I was just absolutely amazed at that. And I knew you were going to make it like, you're just a sincere 
what I could understand <laughs> yeah, yeah. was sincerity. Only it, part of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we met back in 2010. And just for the record, Adam, the way I found Adam was through my very dear friend. His name is Shonak. And Adam and his partner at that time used to run a business called Spire Search Partners. And Adam was very well known at that time, which is even more today. He knew everyone and everyone. We were having a lunch and we discussing potential business to work with Spire Search Partners. That's how we met. Now, going back to the question that how articulate I was, I think I wasn't, I've never thought I can sell anything because I was a very shy personality. I only answer what people ask questions. So it wasn't my cup of tea that I can go and sell to people in New York that, okay, you should use this service because it's going to be great for you because outsourcing wasn't common, especially for restaurant industry. I think it was common for call centers or, you know, big banks to outsource their departments, but not for accounting. It was almost unheard of it at that time. So I, I have to learn a lot of things on a time-to-time basis, how to react, uh, how the laws and regulations are working. So it took us a long time, yeah, for sure. But slowly and gradually, we learned it. Slowly and gradually, my ass. You did this at <laughs> warp speed. There were so many things that amazed me about you. So first of all, yeah, that is true. We were a client and I love that you took us in, even though it wasn't an area of probably even an interest to you, but you did what all business owners in the beginning had to do. You, you take in revenue and yeah. And even though we weren't a primary client for you, I never thought for one second, I never got the sense that we were treated with anything but the red carpet. Your responsiveness was phenomenal. Customer service was great. If for some reason something went awry, not that it really did, but you were on top of it. Emails at three in the morning. I mean, I just, Dennis and I used to talk about how we knew that you were onto something. So fast forward, here we are eight years later, 300 clients, 5,000 square foot space in midtown Manhattan, not cheap. I'm sitting in the office right now. We've got a really great staff. I got an opportunity to walk around and meet some of them. You can tell that they're dialed in. You can tell that they care. That shows good leadership on your behalf. How did you do that? Yeah, sure. So I think before I answer the leadership, I think Spire to us was the most important client. The reason why my rent used to rely on Spire paying me. So I will equally say thank you to Adam and Dennis that you guys have been awesome. You guys gave us an opportunity just to understand the culture, the terminology. And, you know, when you get the first client, you just want to service it like you're never going to have any other client. And that's what we have done again and again every single time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you still do that. I mean, again, the loyalty. So I'm going to tell you something else about Nish. So the way I remember, so I'd introduced you to, there was an insurance agency that I'd owned and I think it was about a year. No, God, it was a few years ago. I brought them in to meet you. It was a good company. We catered more towards sports and entertainment. But I love the fact that you and I had a deep relationship. But before even moving forward, with us, you really needed to vet what we brought to the table. You wouldn't budge on serving the best interest of your clients. And I think that that speaks volumes to your character. And I think that your clients, I'm just going to bet that, I mean, I know the way that your clients feel about you because every time we go out, your phone is constantly blowing up, not to mention going into a restaurant. I forgot what was the, well, maybe we won't say it on the air, but remember we went out to a restaurant 
maybe this was like three or four years ago. Uh, I forgot if it was Indian or it was some type of Asian. It was a very nice restaurant, and we were treated like royalty. Yeah. I felt that I was – I've been out to restaurants actually with athletes or entertainers, famous people, and I still didn't get the service that I got when I was with Nish. Pleasure. Yeah. All pleasure. So what is that? Tell me about that. I think it's all about the respect because respect is the one thing you have to earn over the course of the time. And when you involve yourself and treat a client like this is your business, if you are losing the money, that means we are losing the money. And then you analyze every single number like you are doing a postmortem of the most complicated murder in the history. And then you go to the forensic line detail item and tell them that this is what you should fix. Then that relationship is not anymore about a vendor and business relationship. It's more than just a supplier so we become more like a partner than just a regular vendor great you service you're in the hospitality restaurant hospitality industry can you talk about some of the clients that you service yeah sure so we have some of the very good names luckily some of our largest client would be cipriani zuma by chloe we have a client in arizona they have like 15 locations it's called salad and go we have Baoli, Bagatelle, Sea Spice, and these are like hot brands from fine dining to a clubs to a lounge to a fast casual place to a semi-casual place, coffee shops like Ground Central Coffee, uh, Mamo, which is like famous in tips and they opened in New York as well. So yeah, I just ate there last week. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Truffle pizza. I wish I knew to pizza. drop your name. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So you've got all these. I mean, that's really an eclectic group of, yes. of clientele. How did you pick up a lot of these clients? Yeah. So I think the story goes back in 2011, which was the second year I being in New York. So I moved originally in June 2010. And I was like going to door to door, leaving my business card, leaving the brochure that, okay, this is what paper chase is. And probably I think 99.999% threw it in the garbage when I left the restaurant. And there was a time when I was like really down. I'm like, okay, it was I think March 2011. I'm like, okay, it's not going to work out. So I said, I will still give it a shot, but now I need to do some sort of job. So I actually applied in a New York State Unemployment Agency so that they can help me find a job. And then I did a three job interviews and three of them said that you're overqualified. We don't need what you are doing it. So look for something else. And in between, uh, one of our senior partners from London, he was here. Uh, his name is Aku. And we were trying this uh, restaurant, his name is Junoon, which is a uh, Michelin India star restaurant to New York Times stars. It's on 24th Street. And we were trying to get in touch. They just opened in December 2010. That's where we ate. That's where we ate, yes. Sorry. He was not returning to our calls and emails. And then I got this idea. So like, Aku, why don't we do a dinner reservation? And then if owner is there, he will probably oblige to come and say hello to us. So we did a dinner reservation on that day and luckily he was there. So he came to the table to see us with me, Aku and my wife Sejal was also there. And uh, he said that, okay, come tomorrow and meet me. So the best part, dinner was free. He called us dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that became our first client. Next day I went to see him. And he said, okay, come on board. Let's start working together. I showed him what we do or what we intend to do. 
And that's it. So some of the things that I've grown up to some degree in the restaurant industry, I worked at a five-star restaurant when I was 13 years old. I've been around kind of the restaurant bar scene. One of my closest and nearest and dearest friends owns a pretty impressive restaurant. So I'm very familiar with it and it's a really tough industry and I don't know how accurate the statistic is today, but I know at least back in 1997, the average duration of time a restaurant slash bar in Manhattan stays open is less than 24 hours of even opening the doors. So I don't know if that stat is how accurate that is today. I don't know if it's less time or if it's more. I don't know if you've got an opinion on that, but I'm going to finish where I'm going with this. The point is, it's a tough, it is a really difficult industry to do well. A lot of people think it's just putting out some food and some alcohol, and if you build it, they will come. But that's not the case, not even close to the case. There's so many things that go into the restaurant, and everything from theft to competition to keeping a place clean. I mean, I can just keep going on and on and on, but I'd like to get your perspective of what it is, where are some of the biggest values that you have found your clients have appreciated from your service? But yeah, before sure. you answer that, I want to know if you have a weigh in on the 24 hour. Set. Yeah, I think 24 hour, I'm not sure, but there's this thing. I think city to city, it depends. Like if you go to Miami, they say that 65% of the restaurant closes within the first year they open. Within 12 months, the 65% of the restaurant closes. In New York, typically they say that if you're open for three years or more, you are good for a long run, that you will go seven, 10 plus years on an average. In New York, probably 30 to 40% restaurant closes within the first year. And just because it's different dynamics, like Miami is more about money and glamour, New York is more about serious on the food, and people appreciate. Like you said, back in 1990s, it was a different story. And now it is a different story. People are more educated on the food. They are health conscious. They will not eat anything what you just throw it on the table, as you said. And the value what we bring in is we just don't give a number or a profit and loss statement that this is your P&L. Go and figure it out. We actually send out a weekly analytics report, which is, I think, the most powerful tool which restaurant can have. And in that one, if food costs gone up by 2%, what are the reasons? Is it because of chicken, lamb, beef? And if it is beef, is it because of what kind of beef? Is it sirloin or where did the problem actually happen? Is it vendor increased the price or inventory went down? Or maybe someone is stealing the food, like you said. So we always ran into different issues. And I'll give one one example which happened with me before, I think, three years with one of our client in New York, it was more Peruvian restaurant, so it was more seafood driven. And their food cost was around 33%. Technically, it should be around between 29 to 30%. We noticed like five, six weeks in a row, it was like 33 to 35%. And we said, okay, are you doing step one? Are you, you know, weighing all the products? Are you doing inventory? They said, yes, yes, yes. And in the end, I asked that, okay, do you guys lock your walk-in freezers in the night? They said, no. And I said, who cleans in the night? They said, we have a third-party company who come and do the cleaning. They start locking the fridge and the food cost went back to 29%, (laughs) uh, which means in dollar value, they saved around $1,000 a week just on not stealing the food. That's amazing. So you pay yourself off tenfold. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we never come as a cost. We always comes as a profit center compared to other service or having someone on board. Now, I've got to assume you didn't get here by not building relationships. 
who are some of the, not maybe the specific who's, but what types of people have you built relationships with and how have those relationships served you? Professionally, I prefer to, you know, have a relationship or the one which I have built is more with the owners, general managers and the chefs. And generally, I say that 95% of the GMs and the chefs, they don't like us because we always try to put them on a spot that this is what you are doing wrong. It's only 5% of the people who like us. And that's what paper chase go much more longer in relation because when that person leaves that restaurant and goes to the second place, they are just not ready to face uh, mediocrity. You know, it's like they want the standards. They want people to be accountable. They want full transparency. And that's where we come into play because we are independent. We are not an employee where GM can tell us that, okay, do this and don't worry about it. Or chef can come and tell us that just hide this invoice for a few weeks so my food cost looks good and then pay it afterwards. So we always work for the interests of the owners, investors, the people who are really put the money and they want the business to run like a real business. That's what we go along well. I think that's a great point because a lot of people don't recognize that this is a good industry. How does this industry do in a recession? The restaurant industry, it's tough. Like you said earlier, it's not easy. The laws and regulations have changed drastically. Minimum wage gone up by like, since I came in eight years, it gone up by almost 80% in eight years oh my uh, for tipped employees. So they are facing a lot of challenges. The rents are going up. The economy is back to what it should be, which is great news, of course. But that means the rent is not sustainable. A lot of people are eating or ordering through online deliveries or online services. So you just can't get enough people on in the door. I guess that almost speaks to the value of what you're doing more so. Do you see trends that you're able to give your clients a heads up on? Yeah, we always do benchmarking. So, you know, if you have a restaurant and let's say you run a Japanese restaurant, we'll always give an advice that, okay, there are similar places like Japanese without naming in particular, they do this, which works well. Because end of the day, everyone flourish. I think the industry is going to flourish. So we always give an advice or a consulting based on our experience. Yeah. And then how do you know this industry so well? I didn't know at all. I mean, uh, I think that the only good thing I was at is uh, I was good at numbers. And then when I started eating this unbelievably awesome food, which made me interested more into restaurant. <laughs> um, I mean, like I never knew how the inventory is getting done. So I used to go to restaurants like six, seven in the morning. So that before chefs does counting of meat and seafood, I just go and I go with him in a walk-in fridge. I go with a deep walk-in fridge and he counts, I see. So I understand how the everything works. I did a lot of lunches with the chefs or the people from the restaurant. Like, you know, when they do a family meal, I actually enjoy those meals more than eating at the table because that's where you really hear the customer perspective, the server perspective, the chef perspective. And then you start connecting numbers with the reality and then you come up with uh, explanations. Wow. But you give advice. Maybe it was genuine. I forgot where it was or one of the times that we were hanging out, like, even like about when the phone rings, you analyze phone records or something. Didn't you tell me something about that? Like, you know, That's true. yeah, like phones and napkins and the level of minutia and detail and insights that you're able to give your clients. Talk about some of that. Yeah. I mean, anything which can be counted, we'll analyze it. So let's put it that way. So yeah, phone is a very interesting uh, story. 
which happened with one of our client which is very famous what used to happen at between 4 o'clock to 4:30 they used to have a lot of drop calls or miss calls so we were analyzing the numbers and like why we are missing so many calls within this 30 to 45 minutes and then we go back and we ask the question and they say that oh because we have a family meal and the chef is adamant that if everyone do not come to eat at this time they will not get the family meal so the front desk or the hostesses used to leave the desk or uh, reception or reservation people and they used to go and have a family meal which in turn used to drop all the calls you know in a high stake restaurant one call can be 1000 to 10000 dollar worth of table so we made a special arrangement so the chef makes for those people separate meals so there is always someone who can attend the calls <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Do you see are there common threads that you see restaurant tours making that are constantly making that are wrong? Is there something that you like a trend that you see that there I think I mean there are many of it to begin with but I think one of it is sometimes people just uh, being very enthusiastic signing a lease because it's cheap or it's a large space and they just go for it. without thinking that the larger space means bigger logistical problems uh, bigger utilities and it is is difficult to fill the big room than the smaller room even though you have 100 people sitting it still looks empty so that's like one of the key and the second is they do not start with the numbers correctly they are very bad in projections before they open the restaurant they think is going to be 5 million dollar it end up happening 7 million and they expect is going to do 30 million dollar a year and then it does 20 million dollar a year so they generally do not accept the reality that these are the facts and they always uh, live in their dreamland i would say hmm. apologies for interrupting this conversation especially if you're really enjoying it i know that i get frustrated when i'm listening to a good podcast so i'll make it quick If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on patreon.com/networkwise. That's p a t r e o n.com/networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. Okay, that was painless. So all you have to do now is help us on Patreon and enjoy the remainder of the show. How often are people finding you before they start because it sounds to me like you're someone so that before they were as they're even just thinking of the concept of owning something in the restaurant or hospitality that they should engage with you how often is that the case versus you coming in and doing a turnaround yeah i think it's both we prefer that we come on board before they open the restaurant so we have enough time to put the systems and controls in place then later uh, if it is a later stage it just becomes a little bit difficult because people do not want to change because that's the way they have done unless they are really professional and they want to be part of the change they will do it if not they will go out of the door uh, we'll tell the owner these people are not good enough you should replace them which i think 90% of the time owners do take our uh, suggestions very seriously and they let those people go just because they are not focused to run the business so do you get involved in the hiring process also sometimes yes uh, very limited not like hiring chefs like i mean we don't know how to cook we are good in cooking the numbers in a right manner but if it's a finance positions yes sometimes we meet gm as well before they've been hired 
So owner get perspective on like I ask question that how do you do inventory? What's how do you do arrive to consumption? How do you do complementaries, discounts or whatever? So yeah, we generally ask those questions to get the feel of it, how good he or she is with numbers. Let's go back into that for a little bit. So where do you see, I mean, I've got experiences from what I've seen in the restaurants in terms of the face of the restaurant when there's an absentee owner. And I don't know if you experience a lot of that because of some of the restaurants that you're a part of are owned by either a conglomerate, like some investing group versus the person, the owner operator. Do you understand my question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So your question is more: Do we which industry we focus or? or no, no, I don't know if you. Yeah, I didn't word it well. So <laughs> sorry. Yeah, well, no, yeah, that's, that's me. It's so, my English. Eight years back. Nah, I'd love to blame it on you, man, but I can't. This is all me. You'd think I'm the guy learning English. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it was a couple part question. I guess the first part is: What would you say is the breakdown between the owner operator owned or run? businesses versus uh, the big ones that giant are, yeah yeah correct yeah. So that's my first question uh, then i'll follow up with the next one okay so i think it's this mix i think u.s in general is all about growth you know when you have something which works you have five locations then you go like big you raise like 10 20 30 million dollars and then you start opening another 50 and from mom and pop you become suddenly a big brand Percentage ratio, I would say 65% will be conglomerate and 35 will be more like smaller group or smaller individuals who are doing it. And eventually they will sell it to a bigger fish to make it big. And do you get involved in those, like in terms of the sales? Uh, yes, we do. So you help with like valuations? Valuations as well. So we do all the due diligence. We talk with the people who are going to do the valuation. We provide all the reporting. Huh. I got to think that that's a good service to provide because a lot of people don't really understand this industry. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, many a time you just start with a passion. You have a good recipe, good food, good concept. And then you are at a stage suddenly which you never thought that, okay, it's going to be successful. You really need some solid advice and the people behind to take it to the next level. Now, do you help with some of these companies put together policies, procedures, things like that? Yes, every day. I mean, when you like, let's say if you come as a client to us, we go, we train your manager, we go and train your chef. This is how you're going to do inventory. This is what you have to do. This is you have to do petty cash filing. This is how you're going to weigh the deliveries. So we do a lot of internal control policies first, because if that is in place, I think everything else is easy. You're giving them the playbook. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And how receptive do you find that to be an issue at all or not? Back of the house is very difficult because a chef thinks his job is only to cook and not accountable for numbers. Not all the time. Some of them are really involved into numbers because they also feel that it's important to learn the business how to run. So I would say 60% we run into problems, 40% we get a very good receptive. And remaining 60% we deal through owners and owners pass a strong message. Either they do it or they don't do it. Hmm. Back to some of the relationships that you've developed as being part of, I guess, some of the ancillary services, I would assume from having being a client of yours is, I'm assuming, getting access to other, whether it's purchasing power is probably the word I'm looking for. Is that true? At this moment, no. That's something, it's, it's under review that eventually we might have something like that where people can just buy through our preferred vendors. 
uh, we are not sure if we do it or not, but we definitely will give an advice that these are the vendors you should use it because we don't want to get into a question of integrity that, oh, because you have a good kickback, so we don't want those scenarios. Mm -hmm. We are good in service first, so which we want to do it, but we will help the client that, okay, you are paying 10% more for salmon compared to other restaurants in New York. And then they can figure it out what they want to do with it. So we want to create those sort of analysis more so at least they get the real feedback. How often do GMs and chefs and anyone else that you potentially had a contentious relationship with because you had to kind of put their feet to the fire, how often do those individuals, because those are typically the people that will go off and start their own restaurants, reach back out to you and say, hmm, hey, remember me, the guy that was really obstreperous to you, and now I'd like to hire you to help me? Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, and I think the at that time, they realized that why we were on their ass all the time to get the invoices or to get the answers on inventory or anything which amounts to a, a dollar in front of it. Then they value accordingly. One thing I said earlier is that the 5% of the GM and the chefs, which we go along really well, those are the people who become our lifetime friends for business. So wherever they go, they take us with them. If they ask anyone that, okay, who should they use for accounting, bookkeeping, it always comes as paper chase. One of the strong reasons is we do not do any advertising. We do not do any sales. Everything happens through networking, referrals, people referrals, referrals, referrals. That's how we started in 2011. <laughs> no sales, no advertising. And we're sitting here, 300 clients. How many employees do you have? 300 plus now. Let's talk about that. How the heck were you able to scale? How were you able to hire so many people so quickly? How are you able to build a culture? I mean, you really have a, I'm here in your office right now. And every time I've ever been to any of your offices, everybody is locked in. They're working hard. They're happy. There's a good buzz here. You've got diversity. I see Indian. I see men. I see females. I see like just... Yeah, 45% females. So I'm, I'm very happy with that one. Yeah. Explain that to me. How'd you do this? Yeah, I think uh, starting the team was never easy. Before I touch on the team, I just want to go back to the last thing is like, you know, I said that we get all the clients through referral. And back in 2011, that's how it happened. When we got Junoon as a client, which was the first client, after two months, he referred us to the next door restaurant. At that time, he used to, used to be called San Rocco. He's still friends. Uh, they closed the restaurant, but they went back to Italy, but they're still our friends. Then he also liked us. After two months, he referred to a next restaurant, which is on the same street. So in 2011, we got three clients, same block, same street, and all through referral without doing anything. Well, you did something. Here's none of this. Well, I guess you didn't do sales or advertising. So I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it's all, you know, the people who has done and delivered, I think they were the part of the success. Now, going back to the question of creating the team, uh, one thing which I learned hard way is that it's always difficult to create the first 10 employee team. You know, when you get to the 10 employee, then from 10 to 50, it becomes easy. From 50 to 200, it becomes difficult because you need processes things in place and after 200 you have a different challenges one thing which we always kept in the mind is that we want to have a fun just because accounting is such a boring <laughs> thing to do if you don't have a lot of fun you don't enjoy it 
and also we are always under pressure we our job is not like uh, first 10 days we are busy or last 10 days are busy every day we have something so it's always continuous pressure so it is it's important that we enjoy things accordingly so yeah we we started hiring people more on the base of attitude than the knowledge because one thing is impossible to give to someone is the good attitude for many people in paper chairs paper chairs was their first job or second job when they are like 22 23 24 years old people so we had a lot of youngsters who joined because they just wanted to learn they had a great attitude hunger to grow and that's what we developed we just like continuously developing those people okay so you've got 45% women was that you're conscious of that is that something that you and also the diversity i'm looking around right now i see you got a little bit of everything yeah we have philippines we have people from philippines india jewish french everyone <laughs> again is that by design no it's not by design but i think in terms of the female i really wanted to be more uh, feminist just because I think it changes the environment, the way you behave, the way you react. So I always had a goal that this is the number which we always going to deal. We also have an office in India and you know I always tell the same thing. There was a time where we almost had no girls working in the team and I went bizarre on our HR team. I'm like what the hell you guys are doing? <laughs> and then I told them for next 3 months you don't hire any more men, you just hire the women. And then as soon as that happened the whole atmosphere has changed the whole atmosphere has changed the way people react they don't do any more gang ups or the tone of body language gets to a different level so yeah that's great you're a voracious reader i mean we're always talking about books and stuff how much of an impact have some of the books that you've read translated into the success of the company i'll answer that question in two ways the first thing is i will regret that i have not read the books for almost 30 years of my life and this can be people can laugh on it but i never read any novel or any books and it's the same way if it makes you feel any better uh and then my friend shona he told me that you need to read books you know read this books so he told me to read there is a book called goal which is perfect for distribution company but i think it's relevant to any companies and at the same time i always liked amazon jeff bezos the way he did business and he came out with his book which is a to z so i read that and that changed everything for me because otherwise you keep doing the same thing monday to sunday you don't do anything different but when you read what actually people have done it changes the whole perception wow what questions do you have for me yeah sure so i think by doing uh, you know this podcast what is the one thing you always learn after each because i think that's a very intense discussion you do and i'm pretty sure you will learn one thing out of each podcast which is like wow this is how it i learned so much there isn't just one thing because there are a lot of things that are consistent that you see with people that are successful in case anyone who's listening isn't aware there's three criteria to being on my show and the first criteria is that i need to know like and trust you and or admire you So that's one. So and we're no like and trust. We have a relationship mm -hmm. that I we go back and forth or maybe if you're someone that I've really like watched from afar, someone really like famous or something that you've done something extraordinary. So that's criteria number 1. Criteria number 2 is that you're successful. And I define success as living a life by design, not by default. 
In other words, doing what you want to do, not just taking any kind of job like you might have had to back when you were looking with the state unemployment. Like that would have just been a job to you. That would have been a slow death yeah. as opposed to the passion, the sacrifices that you put in to be able to be where you are today. You did it. And I know that you've got more to go, but you're doing what you want to be doing. So that's success. And then the third piece to the show is attributing a cornerstone of your success to the relationships that you've developed. There's no way you would have been able to do what you've done without fortifying those relationships with your clients or just with people in general. I just know the type of relationship that you and I have, and I have to assume that you've got that with other people. I mean, I just know, again, let's go back to Shawnuck. Big shout out to you, Shawnuck, by the way, for making a lot of this happen. But those relationships are so important, and I think it's important to give people credit where credit is due. So nobody does it all by themselves. But I mean, I agree with you. Relationship is like everything. If I actually rewind my life, it's all about sometimes people ask that, are you lucky or you are not lucky? Of course, you have to be lucky. But I think a lot of things goes in doing the hard work all the time. Because a lot of time people ask this question, which especially millennials, like work-life balance. And I think end of the day, if you want to be something it has to be a lot of hard work needs to be put in place initially in order to flourish later on and like you said you know shonak is a living example <laughs> oh, his story is awesome too <laughs> shonak i'm gonna get you on here one of these days my friend yeah i mean but so back to your point about their sacrifice and and what i talk about was well, funny so i had a gal on a couple weeks ago and she's like yeah she's like i want to tell you about balance she's like i'm going to teach everybody about balance there is none <laughs> it's just not real there are certain times will there be and you're not just going to have a steady week of balance especially if, as you're building something or doing something so there's a sacrifice that's involved in getting to the top and sacrifice to me is giving up something of a lesser nature for something of a greater nature so actually i want to go back to something that you and i said when we were at lunch and I think it, it's so powerful. And I think that it's something to really think about for anybody who is an owner, thinking about being an owner, just leadership in general, something that you said that really kind of calcified my opinion of you as a leader. We were talking and you mentioned, I said, oh, wow, 300 people. That's a lot of growth and this and that. And I was in my head, I was going one direction, but then you said something to me. Do you remember what you said? about what it is about leading the 300 people no what you don't remember no you said that you think about 300 families that you're responsible yes for putting food on their table yes so you yes. didn't think about you you weren't thinking about these other things you were thinking about the people that work for you and their families that's true yeah and i think that's what keeps me uh, motivated you know wake up at whatever time you have to wake up sleep at whatever time you have to wake up because they actually look at you that you're going to do something for them. Their growth depends on you, not just the paycheck, but if tomorrow they have to grow after two years to a different position, the business has to be growing accordingly in order for them to also grow personally and professionally. So yeah, I think that's now more of a moral responsibility than now anything which is individual. I don't know if this has happened to you yet, and if it hasn't, I will bet anything that it will have you had somebody that has left here to potentially go to a client or maybe not even a client but just go into the industry and then hired you 
No, it hasn't happened right now, but... I'll bet you anything it does. It will, it will. For sure it will. But we have instances where we used to work with one client and they have a CFO or director of finance and then they leave the place. They go to another place and we come on board in that area as well. So it has happened in other way, but not in a in a direct way. Yeah, oh, it will. It'll be more. Yeah, maybe they enjoy here more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so in one year from now... What will be some of the goals that you will have accomplished? And for I mean, the record, we are in June 2018. So June 2019, what will you have accomplished? Are you running out of accomplishments? Or? No, I think it's, I didn't want to put the goals in terms of the clients or in sure. terms of the staffing. But this next 12 months, we want to create a team which will become a team which will take us to 10,000 restaurants in the next five years, as an example. And for that, we have to do a lot of changes internally. We are doing some developments internally, which will help us to scale at a much larger scale. So I think that's more of creating the people, trusting them, giving them a space, empowering them so they feel valued. And they also feel that they are part of this growth engine and not just like working for a paycheck. Otherwise, you might as well, it's like a slow death, right? You said, you know, I could have taken that job before, but otherwise I would have never enjoyed it. God, like I said, I'm so impressed. There's so many things to talk about, so many things to ask you about. People that are listening, who should they refer like to you? Is there hiring? Are you looking to hire certain types of people? Or are there certain types of restaurants that you are looking to board? Is it franchises? Like what are the kinds of people that you'd like to hear from? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you're talking about the people who wants to work with us, anyone who has a great attitude and who love food, who likes to know different restaurant industry, restaurant space, I think we will be the great fit. In terms of the clients, we don't want chain which has like 50, 100 restaurants. That's not our forte. But anyone who is like starting a fine dining restaurant, which can be 10, 20, 30 million dollar restaurant, or they have five, six, seven locations and they want to grow up to 50 locations, I think we will be the right fit. Awesome. So any of you budding entrepreneurs, you should reach out or if someone is interested in getting in this business, I would highly encourage you to do so. And I'll have all of your, is it okay to put your contact information in the show notes? Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing. Nish, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your story, your insights, and everything else that we've talked about today. Thank you so much, Adam. This is my pleasure. Make it a great day. Thank you. I'm really glad you made it through the whole show. It tells me that you found it entertaining and enjoyed the content. In the spirit of helping us continue to provide such great content and amazing guests, we appreciate your participation through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Your support really helps. Also, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change, is building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com. Not only does this platform offer you a plethora of resources, but will walk you through how to expedite the outcomes and the aforementioned goals that you seek. Thanks again for listening. Make it a great day and remember to always network wise.